Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. Matt, what is it we do here on Finest Work Songs? Well, Matt, we love to get together and talk about classic albums, uh, those albums that mean a lot to us or or to others. These could be you know, some of the best-selling albums of, of all time or just maybe those albums that just meant a lot to us at certain times in our lives. The one we're going to do today, to me, is one of those albums. Speak for yourself. <laughs> When you and I were first talking about doing a podcast, the subject of this album we're talking about today was probably the one that kind of instigated the conversation because we have a lot of the same music interests, love a lot of the same bands, mm-hmm. but th- there was one that we sort of hit a, an impasse at. That, That's right. You know, you felt like you should like this band, but have never gotten on board with. Yeah, and that band is The Smiths. If you look at my catalog, everything would suggest that I would be a Smiths fan. Because you're mopey and you hate yourself. You love rain. (laughs) All the stereotypes. Having all the music that I did, the Smiths should have been in my catalog. But yeah, I just could never get on board. This should be fun. I mean, because this really was the, the one that got us talking about, hey, it'd be fun to do a podcast and talk about... One of us explain why we like a band or an album and, and almost try to convince the other, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen today. Do you have hopes? I'm like Morrissey. I gave up hope a long time ago. <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? I don't know, because a band like the Smiths, I think the criticisms that people have about them, I can see. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's like very literal, angsty lyrics. Morrissey's voice, you either like love it or it kind of grates on you mm-hmm. so i fully expect you to, to to rip on it i may even be disappointed if you don't <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah so the album we're going to talk about today is strange ways here we come by the smiths As always, we like to start with our memory of an album. Mm -hmm. So Matt, what do you remember about The Smiths' Strange Ways Here We Come? So my sister is eight years older than I am. And so when she was off at college, I was in middle school, I believe, she came home one weekend and she had two cassette tapes. And she was like, you've got to listen to these. One was Poison, Look What the Cat Dragged In. (laughs) And the other was The Smiths' Strange Ways Here We Come. Two incredibly different albums i definitely have stuck with one of those longer than the other <laughs> although you know hey i mean every now and then you want to enjoy a little talk dirty to me or I'm, well you know. i'm sure we're gonna do a poison oh episode. yeah at least one yeah a lot of smith's fans probably count the queen is dead as their best album to me strange ways is their most complete album and it's nostalgic it's the one that you know, introduced me to them so that's that's why i always start with this one i did wonder that mm-hmm. i saw that this is their last album i mean they actually broke up before this album was released yeah you know never toured on this off this album but as a you know probably what 12 13 year old you listen to these lyrics i feel like a lot of ways you know morrissey's lyrics were you know kind of saying things that you think but you're like oh i could never say that to someone you know but he's actually putting them on a record that was interesting and intriguing to me and musically, I, I just love everything that Johnny Marr puts into these albums. And weird combination of, of those two guys you know, really you know, coming together. So the, what was, about the lyrics? Is it that they're so upfront emotional? So upfront emotional, they're 
overwrought with angst and yeah. mopiness and <laughs> songs about, you know, girlfriend in a coma. <laughs> it's serious. You know? um, I mean, that, that, that was very different from what else was probably on the radio in 1987. What else was on the radio? In the oh, yeah. We got Here we go. <laughs> when this was released, number one single was Didn't We Almost Have It All by Whitney Houston. Ooh. Anytime we talk about what was on the charts, <laughs> it's always Whitney. Whitney. She is there. A few months earlier, it was I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney, followed by a one week stint of the moonlighting theme. Oh. <laughs> that was number one <laughs> on the pop charts. What was the moonlighting theme? Did Bruce um... play the harmonica <laughs> poorly? <laughs> Let's see. That was Al Jarreau. Al Jarreau. I guess it was called the Moonlighting theme, or was it a song he had recorded earlier? And they, hey, we'd love to use this as the Moonlighting theme. Oh, good point. I don't know. I wonder if when artists, they were like, hey, can you write something for this? They're like, sure. Sure. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) Goes and sits on the toilet for five minutes and cranks something out. And I got your your Moonlighting theme. Say poops (laughs) and records it. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Here's the Moonlighting theme. Why was this on the pop charts? Has any other TV theme song been on the pop charts? Hey Google, has any other TV theme song been on the pop charts? Yes, the Friends theme song. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Like you would never hear like the Seinfeld like. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the that's the uh, musical landscape of 1987. Although another Brit closed out the year, George Harrison got my mind set oh. on you. Poor George. Well, when you when you think of the great George Harrison songs of all time, that's number one, right? Got my mind set on you is sad to me. And he, then the video, do you remember oh, the video? And he, he does like he air quotes gets up and starts dancing, and then does like a flip. Does like, he really? Yeah, I just the, remember all the animals. The stuff's moving. The clock yeah. is moving in the background. Was that pre Wilburys? Yeah, I think Wilburys was a reaction to that. <laughs> like, it, like was, it was like it was like intervention. Was intervention. <laughs> <laughs> we need to help them out. Let's get together, guys. Let's go on tour. Yeah, 1987 was not a good year on the pop charts as I look at it. You got that extreme of very polished you know, pop and Whitney and Algebra and all yeah. that. So to hear you know something like Strange Ways Here We Come was, was pretty eye-opening for young Matt. I'll put it that way. Yeah. What about you? What's your memory of the Smiths? I didn't have it easy growing up, Matt. Hmm. My parents died. I was raised in community by my brothers and their Extremely handsome friends. And uh, <laughs> we managed to fly under the radar of the foster care system. My oldest brother, Daryl, made sure that we stayed in school, made sure that we uh, stayed out of trouble. But it wasn't easy in my neighborhood, especially with the friends that we had, like Dallas and 2-Bit and Steve. <laughs> uh, this, was a, this was a time when, you know, wrong side of the tracks meant something, and we were on the wrong side of the tracks. We didn't have money, and those who did, who lived on the other side of town, uh, really made it known. We had a name for the rich people, Socias, which was short for socials, which is the same (laughs) number of syllables. (laughs) (laughs) My friend Johnny and I liked to go to movies. While we were there, we were talking to two of the Socias' girlfriends. One was named Cherry, which you would think would put her on our side of the tracks. (laughs) Nope, she was uh, a Soch. And it really made Bob and Randy, their boyfriends, <laughs> mad. And everything was fine. You know, they diffused the situation until later that night 
we were hanging out and, and Bob and Randy and their friends came looking for us. They put me in a fountain in the park and really tried to drown me. And so Johnny pulled out his switchblade and murdered Bob. Wow. I'm not laughing because it's funny. Um, I'm laughing because Bob deserved it. <laughs> One of our friends, Dallas, sent us away on a train and we went and hid out in an abandoned church a couple towns over. I bleached my hair with peroxide. I read Gone with the Wind. Johnny was really into Robert Frost, just like a couple of greasers. <laughs> That's what we're into. After a few days, Dallas came and told us that Cherry was going to back us up in court. That was good news. And we decided, we were, we were starving. We'd been eating crackers, and we decided to go out and get something to eat. So we went out to a diner. And then when we came back to the church, it was on fire mm. with kids inside of it. I don't know how the kids got in there got trapped and started a fire, but you know, that happened. We rescued the kids. We were heroes, except poor Johnny. A burning beam fell on his back. He had some severe burns, and then he was charged with manslaughter. So Johnny, Mm. having a bad day. Mm. Because Bob, the Soch, had died, the Soch has called for a rumble, which is just a (laughs) big gang fight, you know. We met up with another gang, and, and we went to the rumble. We only hung out with like really hot greasers. So it was like rainy and muddy. I mean, it was like probably slow motion. <laughs> but afterwards, Dallas took me to the hospital to visit Johnny, who kindly enough waited until I got there to uh, tell me to stay gold. Dallas was so freaked out that he went out there and pretended to shoot a doctor and then robbed a grocery store. Finally was shot and killed. Mm. I had a sad upbringing, lost a lot of friends. A lot of hot friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned how handsome my friends were, but a couple of them went on to great things. You know, one became a fighter pilot. <laughs> one became a dance instructor in upstate New York. One took those rumble skills, I think, to like a karate meet or something. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yep. Translated. <laughs> one ended up becoming the city manager of Pawnee. Yeah. Indiana. We greasers were attracted to this melodramatic music and Mm -hmm. this album, Strange Ways, Here We Come, really helped me get through that time of of mourning. Hmm. It's funny you use that story. When the Smiths broke up Mm -hmm. and Morrissey formed his backing band, which I think most of them are still together with them, they all look like they should have been greasers. That's what made me go this direction. Because I mean, they all look like Pony Boy yeah. and Dallas and those guys. I mean, they're totally. all really, really good musicians, but they all fit that mold to yeah. a T. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of uncanny. Yeah, they, they do. They look like straight out of the greaser's side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Also, do you know who was in this movie as an extra? Flea. Flea? From Red Hot Chili really? Peppers. Was an extra in The Outsiders. Really? Like he was a soche, <laughs> which is crazy. Well, I was, I was, as you were talking about, I was looking through the cast and like Tom Waits is in this movie. Really? Yeah. He Who's plays he play? Buck Merrill. Oh yeah. Buck had the, didn't he have the store? Well, there's a store clerk. Who was Buck? Uh, let's see. Buck was like an older greaser. Okay. I joke about all the hot friends, but this movie is known for having sort of the up and coming stars yeah. in the eighties. This was my favorite book growing up. Yeah. Hands down. I used to read it over and over and over again. I feel like the movie did, a pretty good yeah. job. It did it's justice. true to it. Yeah. I've read it, but it's been a long time. Does it describe all the guys as like 
hot. <laughs> like, like, were, were they true to the book in that sense? What like, if, oh, man. Yeah. What if Essie Hinton was like... His and, sinewy yeah. muscles as he <laughs> got out of his car. It's always raining. It's always raining. Steamy. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, I, I don't have any memory of this album. Mm-hmm. I just have a memory of the Smiths mm-hmm. and friends who were really into them. Especially... In these years, if you were into like U2, Boy, and War, it seemed like the Smiths was another mm-hmm. band that you were into. And uh, for whatever reason, I could never, never get into them. So they kick off this album with A Rush and a Push and the Land is Ours. off the album with oh hello like that's his first lyrics is oh hello he talks about being the ghost of troubled joe hung by his pretty white neck some 18 months ago i traveled to a mystical time zone and i missed my bed <laughs> so, so he comes so I home. home yeah this encapsulates morrissey I, i'd much rather just be in my own bed yeah like by myself <laughs> but i'm alone don't talk about love because it makes me sad yeah but i want to be loved more than anything else for me, as, as like a 12, 13-year-old, yeah. when you're thick of middle school and, and early high school and there's cliques and you know, there's the, the greasers in the section. Because uh-huh. <laughs> every, every school had that, right, uh, in the 1980s. You've got the popular group over here. You've got the jocks. You've got the nerds. You, and, and, you know, I, I think the thing about these kinds of lyrics, and, and they are overly dramatic. I mm-hmm. mean, overly melodramatic. <laughs> and I get that. But it was kind of like, he's saying what we want to say. He's, he's putting... On an, an album, what we're thinking, but would be too afraid to actually say yeah. or, or write down. Or yeah. Something. So he's giving voice to, if not these feelings, at least deep emotions that at the time it's hard to express. So right. leave it to Morrissey to do that for you. <laughs> right. Even if he goes overboard with it. Who do we have in this band? We've got, obviously, Johnny Marr and Morrissey. Yeah, Johnny Marr is the chief you know, songwriter from a music standpoint mm-hmm. and essentially all lyrics are, are Morrissey album covers and artwork. I mean, all that's, that's Morrissey. Andy Rourke was on bass and then Mike Joyce on drums. Good musicians. I mean, but living in the shadows of yeah. Morrissey and Marr. Cause you've got Morrissey and Marr's creativity and then you've got their personalities, which sort of overshadow everything. It seems that Everyone would be in the shadow of Morrissey, who insisted that he be called by his last name. Right. Because he hated the name Stephen. <laughs> uh, also, what if his last name had been like... Nordberg. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I go by Nordberg from now on. 
only call me that because I don't like Steven. They're like, ah, maybe you should rethink uh, that. Yeah, play this out a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Steven's actually kind of cool. Nordberg, <laughs> not as much. Not as much. That's how they open up in a big dramatic way. Second song is, I started something I couldn't finish. I don't foresee any drama coming with this one. All the great pop songs have the phrase absolutely vile in them. (laughs) When I think of Morrissey, it is captured in this song when he's singing, typical me, typical me, typical me. You know, that to me is Morrissey. He's like, stop looking at me. Keep looking at me. (laughs) (laughs) He's so obsessed with himself, it seems. That's fair. And and I I mean, I think he's... He's like one of those folks who would be like, oh, are you, are you guys going to the beach? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't want to go anyway. Yeah. And he sits down and starts reading a book of poetry so that you could see the cover. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what I have a difficult time getting past. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to see that this is an act mm-hmm. because he's like, you'll call me Morrissey and don't you dare call right. me anything right. but that. You know, Growing up, my memories of Morrissey on TV were him standing on stage while people would rush the stage and, and, throw go up ro- there and, and throw roses at throw him. Roses and he's standing there just looking forlorn. forlorn. <laughs> yeah. But he gets up there and does it every night. And yeah. Perpetuates the yeah. stereotype. So it's hard for me to separate that from him. If it were some sort of act, maybe I'd applaud and say, wow, what a neat yeah. character this is. But it just seems like it's him. He came and performed in Durham, I don't know, six, seven years ago. It still happens. I mean, you've got people just rushing the stage. I've never seen more people like hop up on stage to try and like hug a performer before. Do they have security at the concerts? (laughs) (laughs) He probably tells the security like, all right, what I want you to do is let them hug me and then pull them off. Right. So it looks like I don't really want them to hug me, but I really want them to hug me. But I really want them to hug (laughs) me. There are obviously much bigger pop stars and rock stars out there. Yeah. And I've never seen the amount of people running up on stage as I have at, at a Morrissey concert. Some of these fans are like 60. 70 oh they were then they're getting <laughs> they're getting up there so then they're, they're got their walker <laughs> very and, slowly and, and he's still like okay just let them hug me <laughs> Give him time. right he's trying to pretend like he's getting away but he's having a hard time with it because because he's also 60 <laughs> his hip is sore comparing the weight of the world for so long oh my gosh yeah honest question for you if you took away the persona the, not even the persona but morrissey's personality and mm-hmm. his if you uh, took away Morrissey if you took away Morrissey yeah, yeah if you took away Morrissey <laughs> well like musically what, what does it resonate with you can you separate the two that's been the question over the past few days as I've been listening to this album mm-hmm. almost nonstop. 
can I ignored your kids for days because you're like, sorry, kids, I've got to listen to. Yeah, I take this podcast seriously (laughs) and they'll appreciate that someday. That's right. Any child whose parent neglects them, thanks them later. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there have been case studies that prove that. Yeah. Yeah. As I listened to this album, that was the question. Mm -hmm. Is it just Morrissey or is it the band? Mm -hmm. And there are times when I really got into it. And there are other times when I thought, I recognize that they're good. Mm-hmm. They just seem so uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Johnny Marr, I think, is brilliant, mm-hmm. knowing that he wrote and arranged a lot of these songs. But the rhythm section, kind of overall, just... Serviceable. Yeah. 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 It's like a blues band rhythm section where you're like, all right. Yeah, so not bad, but just, it's just uninteresting. And again, you've got such an omnipresent personality in Morrissey. You probably can't swap out his presence oh, yeah. and the music not be affected. No. Can you imagine if they did like a Van Halen where they tried to get rid of... (laughs) Gary Sharon comes in and (laughs) sings The Smiths. Who would have replaced Morrissey if they'd gotten rid of him? Who's like a lesser Morrissey? Oh, gosh. Who's the guy from Depeche Mode? Oh, yeah. The lead singer from Depeche Mode. Who is that guy? See? He couldn't do it because we don't know his name. We don't know his name. (laughs) Also, you read that Van Halen autobiography. What happened? It stopped before that because it was the manager who was like the David Lee Roth era manager he gets into like why they broke up and stuff but he doesn't really get into the the hagar era why did they break up mainly because he thought he was bigger than the band and he wanted to do stuff like i'm just a gigolo and california girls and how are you in a band with eddie van halen and you think you're bigger than van halen (laughs) (laughs) right he wanted to be more of a showman and eddie wanted to be a musician then he looks over and sees Michael Anthony on bass playing a Jack Daniels bass. <laughs> and I could see David Lee Roth being like, wait, so I'm the problem? I'm the one trying to be a showman? Look over here. He's playing a bottle of Jack Daniels. <laughs> the death of a disco dancer Well, it happens a lot round here And if you think peace is a common goal That goes to show how little you know The death of a disco dancer Well, I'd rather not get involved not just what he sings but it's how he sings it it's like he's testing the mic <laughs> uh the death of a disco dancer you know he seems so uncaring about yeah. anything especially the death of a disco dancer uh, but it happens a lot around there <laughs> yeah he's kind of used to it what's going on in manchester where these know, disco da- also is disco dancer <laughs> a occupation or is it a you know a description it might be an occupation i mean manchester was pretty 
working class. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, for that. maybe maybe you could still make ends meet by being a disco dancer in mid eighties. In just <laughs> <laughs> sort of Morsi in a in a nutshell. You know, I never talked to my neighbor. I'd rather not get involved <laughs> in the death <laughs> in the death of a, of disco. a disco dancer. Things may have been bleak in Manchester, but I could see where if you're in middle school, this speaks to emotions. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not dealing with the death of a disco dancer in, in <laughs> Dunn, uh, North, Dunn Carolina. North Carolina. Right. <laughs> more like the death of a mule <laughs> and mule days. <laughs> Did you roll up to mule days in a Smith's t-shirt? God, that's a surefire way to get your butt kicked. <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine doing that. I do remember, so in Benson, where Mule Days takes place, uh-huh. for years and years and years, it was very popular to go cruising in Benson, which would, you know, you'd just get in your car on a Friday or Saturday night. Head on down to the DQ? I believe there might have been a DQ. Oh, man. Just go up and down the main street yeah. through the middle of town. And I can remember listening to Morrissey solo albums with my friends cruising Benson. And <laughs> it was almost very Morrissey-esque, because it would be like, oh, look at all these lame people cruising down <laughs> and we're going to play these songs about how we hate all these lame people right oh look at me but don't look at me you know so yeah oh my gosh t- totally i mean remember i like to think of you that. like leaning on your hands looking out the window just like kind of staring forlorn at people as more plays. oh yeah it's raining <laughs> All these jocks and socias. Socias. So at the end of this song, they kind of carry on mm-hmm. and just... Jam out. Jam out. In a, in a Smith's jam out kind yeah. of way. Very indie way. As soon as I heard it, it really piqued my interest because Johnny Marr joined Modest Mouse mm-hmm. in the late 2000s, which was kind of cool because apparently Isaac Brock of Modest Mouse, which... He was making albums in 95, 96, you know, mm-hmm. first first albums, looking for a guitarist. And it's like, I love Johnny Marr. Let me call him up and mm-hmm. see. To think that you grew up adoring a band mm-hmm. and then you get to the point where you say, well, let's just try. But I never knew the influence mm-hmm. the Smiths had on Isaac right. Brock until I heard this song. Because the end yeah. of Death of a Disco Dancer sounds like a Modest Mouse song. Mm-hmm. That sort of breakdown and angsty, mm-hmm. almost off-kilter guitar. Noise, but still kind of works together. Very artsy, mm-hmm. but also not distorted, mm-hmm. which apparently Johnny Marr wouldn't do distortion. Yeah. He was insistent upon that. So he also was melodramatic. But um, <laughs> that sort of like really driving the clean sound and not to where it breaks up and distorts, yeah. but just... It's, it's, it's dirty and noisy because it's just layers of clean sound after clean sound yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was pretty cool to hear this and go, oh, I see now why they were such an influence. If you were to do what Isaac Brock did and be like, hey, I'm going to do an album, and mm-hmm. you could ask anybody like who you idolized growing up, who would it be Oof. to play on an album? It's a tough question because it gets into the what's the genre that you're playing. Mm-hmm. But the first person that comes to mind is Johnny Greenwood from okay. Radiohead. Yeah. I think he's a genius mm-hmm. on the guitar. He's been the person that has blown my mind more than any other guitarist. Mm-hmm. And so I would just even want to be in the room and see him do his magic. Yeah. What about you? Oh, Alvin, Simon, or Theodore. <laughs> Those influential <laughs> people. <laughs> yep.
Is it serious? Because it doesn't sound serious. <laughs> well, the, the, at the all. happy music makes it not sound. <laughs> I imagine him. Oh my gosh! I imagine him starting to date a girl after she goes into a coma, just for the drama yeah. of it. She falls into a coma, and he goes, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to go out with me?" And then he's like, goes and tells everybody, "My girlfriend's in a coma." And this poor girl's parents. He probably comes in and is like, "Hey, I wrote a song. Hey, here's some flowers. I wrote a song." Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, that's lovely. Maybe you could give voice to our grief." And then he starts playing this. <laughs> Why would you write that song? And he's like, "I said it was serious." <laughs> BBC Radio One apparently refused to play it, and Morrissey later said, "You're not really supposed to like those songs. They're very depressing, and they're not supposed to be played on the radio." Which is the most Morrissey thing you oh can say gosh, about the song. Don't play it on the radio. But seriously, play <laughs> no, it. No, whatever you do, please don't play it. Yeah. I don't want anyone, don't to, want hear anyone to hear this. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love this song. This is to me where, where, I mean, I like Death of a Disco Dancer. You would. <laughs> yeah, I would because I hate disco dancers. <laughs> I feel like this was probably the part where I just fell in love with this album. Uh-huh. To me, it was just such a like an eye-opening song on this album. Also, singing, do you really think she'll pull through? (laughs) (laughs) Then at the end, he says, let me whisper my last goodbyes. I know, it's serious. (laughs) You keep saying that, but to you, it's not serious, Morrissey. Also, girlfriend in a coma. (laughs) He doesn't mention her name. Like... (laughs) It's so crazy. What if he actually had in there, whatever your name is? <laughs> what, oh, what's her name in a coma? <laughs> he seems like the type to wander the hospital after she dies. And then he's there a week later like, what about her? Is she in a coma? Is she going to pull through? <laughs> That's my girlfriend. <laughs> That's the thing. He's not even writing about losing someone. Because a girlfriend in a coma, it's yep. carrying out the drama. It's right. the most tragic thing. Because it's not that she died and he has to grieve. It's that he gets to wallow. Yeah. This guy is all about wallowing in some self-pity yep. and also look at me while I do it. And that totally spoke to me in like <laughs> 1987, <laughs> 1988. <laughs> well, you had to figure out how to grieve that mule that was in a know, coma. Donkey in a coma, I know. A mule that was wearing a Smith shirt and got killed. <laughs> if a donkey went in a coma, it would never happen. They would just be like, all right, kill it. All right, shoot it. <laughs> It's serious. I know it's serious. I know it's serious. <laughs> All right. What's next on this fun ride? Stop me if you think you've heard this one before.
Can you imagine him being late? He walks in. I was detained. I was restrained. And broke my spleen and broke my knee. And like, he it's goes, like, dude, it's it. okay. We know it's all right. Yeah, it really is not a big deal. I smelt the last 10 seconds of life. <laughs> what? Uh, first of all, smelt. Who says that? And also, the last 10 seconds, that's a long time. It's not like a <laughs> but that's flash a, before that's, your That's eye. wallowing. Think about your life flashing before your eyes. But yeah. 10 seconds, that's a long time. That's to... more than a flash. <laughs> also, how many times has Morrissey smelt the last 10 seconds of life? <laughs> Probably every day he walks in, he's like, I almost died. They're like, oh, what happened this time? Now, musically... This is probably my favorite song on the album. Yeah, I could see that. And I think it's when he is singing earnestly, when he's actually singing mm-hmm. and not sort of doing the wallowing, yeah. half singing. Mm-hmm. That's when I can get behind it. Yeah, they, they haven't done a lot of like greatest hits. This one always ends up being on there, I think. I don't think of it as being necessarily one of their most popular songs, mm-hmm. but it seems to be one that is more universally appreciated and loved i think musically it has more of a complete lush sound i think than some of the other songs on this album in particular yeah but even even then nothing's changed i still love you only slightly less than i used to (laughs) like gosh (laughs) god i love this i love this guy (laughs) so they had a producer on this album steven street Mm -hmm. for the the scene in manchester one of the greatest music scenes Mm -hmm. in all the world that also included james yeah. And New Order. And again, Elbow. El who? You were on this podcast. Oh, that's where right. We talked about it. That's right. <laughs> but this guy also, uh, Stephen Street, also worked with Blur and did Park Life. And he did The Cranberries. Everybody else is doing it, so why can't oh, wow. we? The, yeah, this guy seems like a, a staple of the Manchester scene. You know, I'm just impressed that he was able to work with Morsi. To work with both of those guys. Yeah. And, you know, be able to produce something that's this impactful for a lot of people not just quit midway through it even the recording process apparently like the whole band would record mm-hmm. you know, during the day and then morrissey would retire <laughs> would, would go read you know oscar wilde or something yeah you know and the rest of the band and stephen street would start partying and then remixing and reworking things so then the next day morrissey would come back in and find something new probably he was left out yeah, right. He was ignored. Ostracized. Yeah, he was ostracized. Oh, oh he loved that. Yeah. <laughs> Golly. He probably like left the studio and then like doubled back and like cracked the door just a little bit to make sure they were really like drinking and partying without him. He just them. peered in sadly. <laughs> he just stood there. He didn't go anywhere. Forlorn. <laughs> Should we talk about the album title at all? What is this? So Strange Ways is actually a, a prison or a jail. And I got to think, like, if this had been, if uh, smartphones had been around in, like, 1987, every mopey teenager in England would have done selfies in front of Strange Ways. You know. Prison. Oh, yeah. yeah. It'd be the most Instagram place in it's, the UK. I'm looking at it now. It's, it's actually a lovely building. <laughs> at least the entrance is really nice. That is pretty clever. Strange Ways, here we come. I didn't know what that meant, but... Makes me like them. Hmm. Yeah, you've changed my mind. There you go. All right. Good job. You're welcome. (laughs) My work here is done. One of the more iconic songs to a lot of people on this album is Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me, which that's like Morrissey in a nutshell right there. Oh, my gosh.
Is this a live cut from their concert? <laughs> Love the song, but it's it's very much. I dreamt someone loved me. Oh, just a false alarm. Yeah, you know, poor old me again. Every day, he every day. That. <laughs> That's right. You know, again to to twelve year old me. But one of the other songs that just, I could not get enough of was "Unhappy Birthday." You were a sad child. I was not a sad were you child. Mopey. I, I was. Yeah, yeah, probably was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every every preteen, yeah, yeah, teen. Right. No, is, I, was, I, was, I don't think I was mopey. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think of myself as mopey. Um, you were just really into this. I just really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I wanted to be mopey, and this yeah. allowed me to be mopey okay. without being mopey. Right. I've come to wish you an unhappy birthday. I've come to wish you an unhappy birthday. Cause you're evil and you lie. And if you should die, I may feel slightly sad, but I won't cry. And lost, and some may say, when usually it's nothing, surely you're happy it should be this way. I say, No, I'm gonna kill my dog. May the line sag, the line sag heavy and deep tonight. I've come to wish you an birthday. He puts a lot of effort into his mopiness. He is coming over to wish you an unhappy birthday. <laughs> that takes effort. Like, I yeah. wonder if he has a cake, but like, there are no candles on it. Yeah, as your name misspelled. <laughs> Usually if you don't like somebody, you're going to avoid them. He's still wanting to be present so that you know. He says, if you should die, I may feel slightly sad. But I won't cry. Right. Even then, he, he takes it so much further when he's like, I'm here to wish you an unhappy birthday. And it means that much to me that you have an unhappy birthday that I want to kill my dog. Yeah, where does the dog come <laughs> into that? Well, I mean, you know, in his defense, the person of emphasis in this song is evil and they lie. So they should be killed or have an unhappy birthday. And apparently, they broke up with him. That's why. Right. So this person breaks up with them and... And he signs it from the one you left behind. He sings that four times right. and then just sings behind a dozen times. Right. With a, with a oh, unhappy birthday. Just in, ca- in case you forgot. Remind you. Least you forgot <laughs> what the purpose of this song is. As I've been looking at the lyrics of these songs, he just sings I in every song. The dude is all about himself. Mm-hmm. And maybe many pop stars are, but this right. persona of him where he's sort of half-heartedly singing... <laughs> I think it's Morrissey. To me, there are there are certain bands that I, I love, but I also recognize that like 
there may be one part that just keeps people away. Like, I mean, yeah. for some people, like Rush, they can appreciate Rush, but it's like when Getty Lee sings, like, high-pitched. Yeah. They're like, wait, I, yeah. I can't get on board with <laughs> that. Yeah. You know, and I get that. I mean, I, I totally understand that. And that's and, how you were with the National. Yeah, you right. Know, yeah, exactly. Similarly. You similarly know. with the National, yeah. I mean, musically, really compelling, really interesting music. But it was almost like I just hit this, like, block with, mm-hmm. with the voice. So, mm-hmm. so I total, totally get that. On the opposite side of things, for me, with, with, with the Smiths, it, it's like I probably would have liked a band made up of Johnny Marr and a couple other dudes yeah. with another singer. You know, I think for me, like, it would not have been the same thing yeah. at all. Like, I mean, and I, I love um, a lot of Morrissey's solo stuff mm-hmm. since. I mean, I think some of the best albums of the, of the 90s were, were his solo stuff. But I still don't feel like they quite reached the same level of the Smiths. So I think you've got to have, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. It seems like Morrissey and Marr had a mutual respect for one another. Yeah. And a lack of respect for their bandmates because they only gave them each 10% of the profits while they took 40% each. Right. (laughs) So they at least agreed on they were brilliant, but the other dudes were basically replaceable. Studio musicians, apparently. All right. So Morrissey's at your door. He's all mopey and sad, and he's going to come in and just occupy your day unless you take a song off Strange Ways. So Matt, if you had to remove a song off this album, which one would it be? The one song that I, I would probably take off, and, and I still love the song, uh, would be Death at One's Elbow. It's the next to last song on the album. I just think the the other you know, nine songs are, are, are better songs. Okay. Uh, from top to bottom. I think for me it would be last night I dreamed that somebody loved me. It's not dreamed, it's dreamt. Sorry. I mean last night I dreamt. Just like it's a smelt. Smelt. I can't get past that beginning riot scene. <laughs> Every time it came on, I thought, Oh my gosh, what are we doing here? They're you know? coming from Morrissey. Oh, he's yeah. so Huggable. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was too much drama for that one. I will say I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed listening to the Smiths Mm -hmm. over the past week. And I even thought I might turn a corner. (laughs) I have been singing girlfriend in a coma for days, you know, which my daughter's like, what? (laughs) What are you singing, daddy? (laughs) Um, Daughter in a coma. (laughs) (laughs) But I think at the end of the day, I still, I still land in the same place of not being a Smiths fan, but I do have a greater appreciation for Johnny Marr. And Mm -hmm. even as much as I've dogged Morrissey, I've enjoyed this more than I thought I would. I thought this would be miserable, but there are definitely some moments and songs that I, that I really got into. I've enjoyed talking about this album for obvious reasons, but, but I also knew that this was going to be a fun one because we're not exactly aligned on on the Smiths. Where do you fall in the great Morrissey <laughs> debate? Are you Team Matt or Team Matt? <laughs> you let us know your thoughts at Finest Work Songs on Twitter and Instagram, and also look for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening to season two of Finest Work Songs. It's 2020, so we'll see you next time when we drop the deuce.
Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat 